Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time that we have to be able to come together, to be able to worship you together as the family of God, to be able to declare publicly that we love you and that you are our Savior. I pray, God, in this time that you would teach us from your word, for that you block out all distractions, just focus us on you and your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible still in Romans chapter 12, that's where we're going to be uh, reading from this morning. This letter to the Roman church was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter to these congregations in the Roman churches to promote good relations between the Jews and the Gentiles within the churches. He was encouraging them that Christ's death was for all who believe in him, not just the Jews and not just the Gentiles. Today we're hopping into this book in chapter 12, and here Paul is beginning his discourse about the practical implications of the gospel, how men and women who have been transformed by the grace of Christ should live now that they have been appointed, or now that they have appointed Christ as the Lord of their lives. And more specifically, as we focus in on a few of these verses, we'll see some aspects of how the grace of Christ affects our relationships, and in particular, our love for one another. Read with me, starting in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's so much in these, in these two verses, um, but look with me to verse 1 where it says, in view of God's mercy. Paul's urging us to recall the gospel. He wants us to remember the man Jesus, God's son, the one who came to this earth and lived as fully human, who perfectly obeyed the commands of God and lived his entire life without sin, something that, that none of us can do. He wants us to remember that perfection. He wants us to remember Christ's teachings, his lifestyle, and his death on the cross. The death that he died to take the punishment for the sin that we all have committed against God. He wants us to also remember how Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. This is the gospel, the good news that though we are all sinners, God sent Christ to take the punishment for our sins so that all who believe in him will be saved from their sin and united with God forever. As Paul begins to give instructions for how Christians should live, He's calling on us to remember all that Christ did for us. He's making the important point that we should not do good things because we think that doing good will save us. We should not do good things for the sake of being good people. As Christians, we are to live our lives in obedience to the commands of God because of what Christ did for us. So as we view the mercy that God showed to us through sending Christ to die for our sin, we see the importance of living for him. Verse 1 continues to say that in view of this great mercy that God has shown to us, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, one that is holy and pleasing to God. And as one theologian puts it, under the old covenant, God accepted the sacrifices of dead animals. But because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, for those in Christ, the only acceptable worship is to offer themselves completely to the Lord. 
Our act of worship as followers of Christ is to live our lives for God. And that means that all of the ways in which we live need to be refined and made obedient to God's standards. I encourage you all to take some time this week to read and study uh, this whole chapter of, of Romans 12 and the ones that come after it in Romans because uh, Paul shares many ways in which we are to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. But today, we're going to focus in on verses 9 and 10, which talk about brotherly love. So read with me starting in verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the message of these verses that Paul wants to share with us this morning. Brotherly love or love within a family is, is unique. It's not based upon uh, something that one can gain from someone else or, or common interests. Love within a family is based upon the unique bond that is shared between members of a family. And it's one that cannot be broken. As Christians, we're members of God's family. Though born into various earthly families, we are all united as parts of the family of Christ. And the unique bond that we share with one another is our common salvation. Each one of us who is a follower of Christ has been redeemed from a life of sin and set free from that sin into a new life of grace in Christ. That's something that only those who are in Christ can relate to. And that feeling that each of us have to know that God loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us is incredible and it's, it's unique. I don't think that anyone can truly appreciate the depths of our own sin the way that we ourselves do. Personally, having lived each and every moment of my life, I'm aware of each and every sinful thing that I've done. My sinfulness is very real to me because of that. And knowing that God looked through that brokenness and still chose to love me and to give up his son so that I could be set free from that sin into true life with him, is, it's, it's mind-blowing. And as brothers and sisters who are a part of the family of God, we can all relate to that common feeling. Each of us, as we look into the Bible and see God's standard per, for perfection, are made aware of our own sin. And just the same as we all look into the Bible, we can see that God loved us in spite of that sin. We share a common unity because of that. A special unity that binds us together as members of God's family who have each been redeemed from our sin. And that common unity should be reflected through brotherly love that we show to one another. Look back with me to verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. These three statements help to paint a picture of what our brotherly love should look like. And the first of these is love must be sincere. Or as the Christian Standard Bible says, love must be without hypocrisy. The love that we show to one another must be genuine and heartfelt. It's not superficial love that acts friendly, but then gossips when someone isn't around. This is genuine love. Love that we see described in 1 Corinthians 13. And verses 4 through 7 are on the screen if you'd like to read along with me. They say love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Are the brotherly love towards one another as members of God's family should be patient and kind. It should not be envious, it should not be boastful or proud, it should not dishonor, it should not be self-seeking, it should not be easily angered or keep a record of wrongs. 
should not delight in evil, but it should rejoice with the truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. One of the themes that we can see in these verses is that many of these things that are mentioned relate to how conflicts are handled. When we are wronged, we do not naturally respond with patience, kindness, or selflessness. It's natural for us to keep a record of wrongs and to have a short fuse when others wrong us. We don't naturally hope for the best when we are wronged. Instead, it's natural for us to want retribution against those who have wronged us. But our natural instincts are sinful. Those ways that we feel are not right, and they're not how God has called us to live out this brotherly love. When we are wronged, we need to respond with patience, with kindness and selflessness. We need to make sure that we're not quick to jump to conclusions or quick to make assumptions or quick to assume that the one who has wronged us has bad intentions. And when conflicts arise, we need to be quick to have a conversation about it because allowing frustrations and anger that we have fester inside of us unaddressed is just a recipe for a blow up. And that's not going to be honoring to God. If our love for one another is sincere and genuine, then we as the body of Christ will take the time to handle conflicts within our body in a patient, kind, and selfless way. The second statement we see in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12 says to hate what is evil. We could see this in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 as well, which says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility to hate all that is evil. And that means that we do not tolerate sin or sinful actions, both in ourselves and in those around us. We have a responsibility to hold ourselves accountable to the commands of Christ and to encourage those within the family of God to do the same. Delighting in evil can come in many different forms. You can hear someone gossiping about someone else in the body of Christ or talking bad about them. And delighting in evil can range from something as seemingly harmless as pretending like you didn't hear that gossip and, and just walking on past, or can be a little more direct and something like joining in with the gossip. But both of these things are equally delighting in evil because where there is sin, it should be addressed. We shouldn't ignore it and pretend like we don't see it. We also shouldn't join in and participate in the sin. The reason that we're told to hate all that is evil is because of the harm that it causes. Our sin is so serious that it separated us from God and he had to send his son to be sacrificed so we could be reunited with him. Sin and evil are not things that we should take lightly and God certainly does not take them lightly. We see an example of this from the early church in Acts chapter 5. The believers in the early church were sharing their possessions at the end of the previous chapter. We're told that sometimes believers would sell their land and give the money to the apostles so that it could benefit the rest of the church family. You can read along with me as these verses are up on the screen, starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 5. The Bible says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. 
Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. This is a strong example of how serious God takes sin. Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and gave part of the money from the sale to the apostles, but they also kept some of it back for themselves. They were stealing from God. The apostle Peter confronted Ananias about his sin, and as a result of his sin, he fell down and died. And later, when his wife came to the apostles, she also lied about the amount of money that they had received from the sale. She too fell down dead. Their sin was no joke. God took it seriously. He didn't tolerate it. Because as James 1.15 says, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Sin's not something that we should take lightly. And we show, our, we show love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when we take sin seriously. Both sin that we become aware of in our own lives and sin that we become aware of in the lives of others in the family of God. And, and when we become aware of sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we learned in 2 Timothy, we're to handle it with gentleness and with the hope that God will lead them to repentance. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and none of us have the right to stand in judgment or to pronounce shame upon someone else for their sin, because we are all equally sinful and guilty of breaking God's commands. But humbly and gently, we can encourage those within the family of God to turn from their sin, to seek repentance, and to cling to what is good. I have these listed on the screen and in your notes as uh, hating what is evil, comes second, and clinging to what is good comes third, but in reality they should probably be together, because these two statements um, are really married together. You can't have one without the other. As we hate what is evil, we also need to make an effort in our relationships with each other to cling to what is good. One of the things that encourages me uh, every week here at Emmanuel is the culture of prayer for those in our church family that are struggling. When our members are battling difficult life circumstances or health concern, the church email list acts as a prayer chain where we're all praying for the needs of our church family. And on Sundays, our elders and Andrew take time in our service each week to lift up the needs of the body. And on Tuesday mornings, as we meet here for prayer at the church, we take time to pray for those in our church family. That is good, and that is clinging to what is good. That clearly demonstrates brotherly love that is selfless and focused on the needs of those around us. And it demonstrates a recognition of the ultimate power that God alone holds in all of our life circumstances. It's important that we continue in this, and that we pursue other things that are good and godly in our relationships with those in the church family, such as intentional encouragement. As brothers and sisters in Christ, our unity should be shown through our commitment to care for one another. It's important for us to encourage those who are struggling. And I think everyone in our church family in the past year has encountered some sort of challenge or struggle at some point or another. And it's our responsibility as a family to care for those who experience difficulties. It's never possible to fully understand what someone else is going through and what challenges are facing them. But we can always take the time to ask someone how they're doing and to listen, to really genuinely listen and to care about what they're going through. And we can take the time to pray for them and to consistently keep in contact with them so they know that they are valued and that they are cared for. 
in Romans chapter 12, if you look down just a couple verses past those that we're studying this morning, to verse 13, it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And further down in verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Clinging to what is good in brotherly love means that we take the time to do this. And clinging to what is good also means clinging to the word of God. We can only recognize evil if we are aware of the truth. And we learn the truth by consistently studying the Bible, both on our own daily and with others during times like Sunday school, Sunday worship, and Wednesday night discipleship. Psalm 33 verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. God's word is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. We learn what is right and true by studying the Bible, and we can see examples of God's faithfulness as we study the Bible. To cling to what is good means to make a commitment to prayer, encouraging other believers, and faithfully studying the word of God. The last instruction that we see in these verses about our brotherly love comes from verse 10. It's been a few minutes since we read that verse together, so read with me again. Romans 12, verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. We are to honor others above ourselves. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he shared this with them in chapter 2. Verses 3 through 8 will be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along with me. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We honor others above ourselves when we value others above ourselves. We honor others above ourselves when we value others above ourselves. Christ valued us and our salvation more than he valued his own life. And that's why he came to the earth and died for us. Our salvation was more important to him than his own comfort. That's the same mindset that we need to have with each other. Our time, our money, our preferences, and our comfort cannot be more important than showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be like Christ and take the form of servants as we seek to show love to others in the family of God. It's not enough to show them love when it's convenient and to show love to whom it is convenient. It was not convenient for Christ to leave his throne and come down to the earth where he was persecuted, beaten, and killed but he willingly and joyfully did it because of his great love for us. We too need to willingly and joyfully serve the body of Christ in love. Verse 10 calls us to brotherly love, and it calls us to be devoted to it. That means that it's not something we take lightly. It's not a trend that we follow for a few days or weeks. It's what defines our lives as Christian brothers and sisters. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35 Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By devoting ourselves to brotherly love, we show to others both within our church family and to those in the world the love that God first showed to us 
we need to devote ourselves to brotherly love. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your great love for us, because we would not know how to love if it were not for your example. I pray, God, that you would help us as a church family to show love to each other, even when it is not convenient, so that we would model the love that you have shown to us. I pray that as we leave, we will continue to study your word throughout the week. I pray all this in your name. Amen.